And I want to thank the, uh, the choir again for uh, singing that song. I, I tell you that, those lines, whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, will triumph through our sorrows and rise to bless you still. I, I get chills every time we sing that. That's, um, encourage you to take those words and, um, and meditate upon them at home. And after more than 30 years of reading, teaching, preaching scriptures, it, it's difficult to recall each time a particular scripture passage that I've read it or, or taught in. But I do remember well one reading of the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's our passage. And you might want to be turning to that or looking at the answer. It was, uh, it was on September the 11th. It was uh, 2011. It was in the Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. And uh, we had been invited by the various faith groups to come and to conduct kind of a service, a uh, prayers and readings from our various sacred scriptures. And uh, I invited a church member to come with me. Uh, he'd become a Christian in America. He was from Iran. And he, I had him read this parable, which I then followed up with prayer. I mean, is there a better passage that presents on that day the Christian perspective of how any of us are to live and to treat our neighbors, wherever they may be, or wherever they may live. Well, then, man, let's look at this lecture, lesson of the Good Samaritan. It's, a, it's by this time, you've heard it read many times, probably taught many times, and the lesson of it is very clear. We're to regard our neighbor, everyone is our neighbor, everybody, and we're to treat them accordingly. The context of this is that a lawyer... A religious lawyer, what his job was is he studied, he was a scholar of the scriptures. He had asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Um, He'd asked earlier, how do I earn eternal life? He already knew that answer. That was just simply a kind of thing that you, you know, like ministers and theologians like to ask each other and test each other out to see if they give the correct answer or not. And um, Jesus has, does the proper rabbi thing, which is to ask him. What do the scriptures read? He answers correctly. And then there's something that's kind of bothering that lawyer. And he asks that question, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus gives what seems to be a straightforward parable, only It's not as straightforward as it seems when you're really getting into this. The lawyer had asked a specific question. Who's my neighbor? He's looking for a specific answer. But Jesus responds in such a way that it it does answer that question. But then he throws in a few other things that that would cause the lawyer to consider ideas, thoughts that had never popped in his mind before. The point that is most clearly made is that the lawyer asked the question from the wrong perspective. What does he ask? Well, who's my neighbor? 
Who qualifies to be my neighbor and to receive my love? Well, but Jesus, on question at the end, turns that around. And he makes the point of this. We don't ask who is our neighbor. We ask, to whom am I going to be a neighbor to? In verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, this is classic Jesus. He forces us to look at ourselves, our own hearts, rather than trying to look into everybody else's. Remember that? He, he says, look, we're to be more concerned with the logs that are in our eyes than with the specks that are in the eyes of others. He wants to know what we believe about him rather than what we think others believe about him. And he wants this lawyer to ask of himself, what does it mean to be a neighbor rather than who qualifies, who earns the right to be his neighbor? And the lesson, of course, is that he should be a neighbor to to anyone who ever has need. But then Jesus has more to say, and he throws in a peculiar twist to this story. And it's one that would not only have troubled the lawyer, it would have troubled the disciples. Indeed, everybody who was around at that time listening, it would have bothered them so much. that Actually, Jesus was endangering that he might, he might not even been heard because they would have been so upset by the way that he told this story. The twist is this. It's Jesus' choice of the hero for his story. Now, it's understandable why Jesus would insert, why he'd have a Samaritan in the story. The Samaritan represents a despised population. It's even likely that when the Samaritan was asking his question about who is my neighbor, he, he might even have been thinking about Samaritans. Samaria was a neighboring territory, is in between actually uh, Judea and Galilee. The, the Jews and the Samaritans disliked one another, and primarily because the Jews disdained, despised the Samaritans. Now, they despised them because of their mixed race. They were half Jew and their mixed religion. They had some of the Judaism, and then they kind of mixed it up with some other stuff as well. So they were not merely non-Jews. They weren't merely Gentiles with a pagan religion. They're messing up what it means to be a Jew, what it means to, uh, to, to follow Judaism. And so they particularly disliked Samaritans. So again, it would make sense for Jesus to have a, a Samaritan in this story as the victim. Yeah, he would have gotten his point across. He was supposed to help out anybody, even Samaritans. That would have done it. Why does Jesus make him the hero? Now, again, a, a principle, an effective teaching illustration. You're going to bring out an illustration in your sermon or teaching. You want to make sure that you don't use words. You don't want to use ideas that's going to distract your hearers from focusing on the lesson. 
And so I, I will avoid certain references in preaching if I think, if I make that reference, you're now going to get distracted. And particularly if I think it's going to bother you so that you will not then hear what I really want to say. But Jesus puts the Samaritan as the hero. And again, that would have been a great distraction. A Samaritan? The good guy? Are, are you kidding me? I mean, the Samaritans I've run across are anything but good neighbors. I mean, doesn't Jesus know what they're like? Is he, is he trying to offend us? I bet that's why he's doing that. Now, again, if Jesus had made the Samaritan the victim, and he receives aid from, well, from the, uh, the priest or from the Levite, you know, again, he gets his point across. But here's one thing that would have happened. The lawyer could still take pride in regarding his people, and especially a leader like himself, to be the superior neighbor. It's easy to look down on those who are needy, and especially those whom we're likely to look down on already, and we can blame them for their own troubles. So, you know, you had to the Samaritan, if he was the victim, Jesus tells his story, you can say, yeah, Another Samaritan has gotten himself into trouble. I mean, what was he doing walking along? Everybody knows that road from Jerusalem leading down to Jericho. It's dangerous. There are robbers there. There he is walking by himself, and he's a Samaritan. He's in foreign territory. I guess I'll have to be the good neighbor and help out this foolish neighbor yet again. But it's the Samaritan. Who comes to the rescue? And the expected good guys, they're the ones who go on the other side of the road. And so if you're going to accept Jesus' teaching here, you'd have to concede that even, even a Samaritan can do the right thing. And that even the good guys, you know, religious leaders can drop the ball. You would have to conclude that no one is naturally superior over the other when it comes to being a neighbor. Now, the second teaching point comes from this scenario that Jesus paints. I mean, you know, not the extreme traits of this. A man is beaten nearly to death. He's in an area far away from another town. Uh, a good neighbor has to go to great length to care for him. Okay, you can't just look at him and say, are you okay? Maybe bandage him up a little bit and go his way. And furthermore, he has to pay a great cost for the care. He doesn't even know how much it's going to cost. He just says, I'll pay whatever it will be. Now, again, this would not have been the scenario that the lawyer expected Jesus to present. He would have had something else in mind, something not requiring such effort in being a neighbor. When Jesus had asked the, the lawyer, he says, well, what did the scripture say? You know, how do you read it? What do you understand it? Well, the, the lawyer, knowing the scriptures, he had quoted from two passages, one in Deuteronomy about loving God and the other from Leviticus in chapter 19 about the neighbor. And let me read to you the, the passage that it comes out of. And this is what would have been on the mind of the lawyer. Okay, beginning in Leviticus 19 with verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. 
The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You know, you need to go ahead and pay. Uh, You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people. And that's why the lawyer is asking, is it only to my own people that I can be this way? And then the Ve'eti, and it says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what do you observe about all of these commands regarding loving your neighbor as yourself? They're all about what bad things not to do. Do not oppress your neighbor. Don't rob your neighbor. Do not slander him. Do not hate him. Do not take vengeance against your neighbor. Don't bear a grudge against your neighbor. It's all about what you shouldn't be doing. Really, against anyone. Now, this kind of teaching had been given before Jesus. There was a great rabbi, really, just just kind of before Jesus, the great rabbi Hillel, and he taught this. What is hateful to yourself, do not do to your fellow man. So don't mistreat others. Centuries before that, there was a Chinese philosopher, Confucius, He said, never do to others what you would not like them to do to you. So it's this concept of being a neighbor that the lawyer's thinking of. You know, treat your neighbor fairly. Don't cause trouble. Don't break laws. In other words, be a good enough neighbor. But Jesus takes this this negative teaching and he turns it into a positive Go the extra mile teaching. You know, that's what he did with the golden rule in Luke 6.31. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. So according to Jesus, it's not enough as a neighbor to avoid doing harm. A neighbor must do good. Live and let live would not have appeared on the bumper sticker of Jesus' car. Okay. So specifically, to be a neighbor is to be merciful. You know, and even the lawyer caught on to this. You know, after he gets the parable, Jesus asked him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. Mercy is what it's about. Now, what is mercy? Well, the very term indicates doing good to another who has no claim to that help. So the receiver might not have a claim because, you know, well, I'm not part of the family. I'm not kin, but I need that help. Or he might not be a citizen of the country. 
or of the town or of the community. Or maybe he forfeited his claim because of his own foolish behavior. Maybe he had not been one who helped his neighbor earlier. And so it is mercy. It's not justice. It's not fair treatment. It's not the right of a relationship that he is left to ask for. It is that mercy that defined the mission of Jesus. You know, when, Jesus, when the Pharisees complained of Jesus associating with sinners, he had this problem of hanging out with sinful people. He replied to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus did not come to this earth to give justice. He'll come another time to give justice. But he came this first time to give mercy. And when you think about it, mercy has been the theme of the first three parables. That parable of the, the prodigal son, what does the father do? He shows mercy to the younger son. It was a mercy that the elder son could not understand. Last Sunday, we looked at the master who first shows mercy to his servant who owed him this unreasonable debt, outlandish debt, then expecting that he would show mercy to others. And mercy is the heart here of being a good neighbor. You know, it is telling that we are told nothing about the victim, are we? We don't know his race. We don't know his nationality. We know nothing about his character. We do not know why he was traveling along that particular route. I mean, we can make assumptions, but Jesus gives us no reason to do so. All that we know is that he is a person in need, and that is all that we need to know. We don't need to know if he's deserving of our help, just that he needs our help. Well, what are lessons we can get from this? Well, we, of course, need to examine our own hearts, don't we? about what it means to be a neighbor. The first thing to understand is for us to to understand the impact, to really get the lesson of Jesus' parable and the impact it should have on us, we have got to ask each of us, who are our Samaritans? Who, if Jesus had used such persons, when he had used that category of a person, would have made us flinch? would have made us ask, okay, what, why do you mention that person or that group? Why, why is he mentioning them? Why do you make that person the hero? And what if he used kind of, a Muslim was walking down the road or a homosexual was walking down the road or a black teenager was walking down the road or, or it could be the other side or it's you know, it's that southern guy with the, the flag on his pickup that's coming down the road. Who is it that you would say, well, no, I mean, what's he using that person for? I mean, you've got to take this seriously. Who are those people? And there's someone, some group, who raise hairs on your back. Not the people that you're hoping other people are thinking about. I want you to get them fixed in your mind. It is from that group that Jesus makes the hero. And he is saying that person from that group 
can every now and then do the right thing. Can you accept it? Can you accept you being the victim and they helping you? Can you accept that there might be a time that you need to receive mercy from them? Because to do so would require that you accept them as fellow neighbors. Yvonne Beasley put me on to Sister Pooh. I don't know if you've heard of Sister Pooh on YouTube. But Sister Pooh, whatever she says, she stops. She was one point saying, I don't care what flag you wave, whether it has stars and bars or it has many colors. I love you and there is nothing you can do about it. That's the attitude that Jesus is saying we're to have. Now, this is not to say that we're to accept heretical beliefs or the corrupt morals of our neighbors. We're not relativists. We do not accept the adage that, you know, what's bad for one person might be good for another. Who are we to judge? Nor does the love of Christ mean that we accept the sinful actions and beliefs of our neighbor as something that we can endorse, and we're saying that's okay. Now, Jesus gives us a simple formula of knowing how to act. It comes from Luke 6, in verses 35 to 36. But love your enemies, and do good in land, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Now, here's the principle. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That's all we need to know. Do we need to show anyone mercy? Is God the Father merciful? Or are we going to be like God our Father? That's all we need to ask ourselves. Now, another lesson we can learn from this is that to be a neighbor is to act for the good of one's neighbor. One must do, not simply be. In fact, I remember having a discussion with another minister one time on this. And we're talking, and he says, well, what matters is, is what a church must be. So what a church must do. You've got to do something. First John 4, 9, we're told, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only Son. We know that God loves us because of what God has done. Jesus' last words to the lawyer was, You go and do likewise. Do good. Do good deeds of mercy. Do good deeds that are inconvenient but are necessary for the welfare of your neighbor. You know, the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts have it right with their slogan. Do a good turn daily. Not a bad idea for us. Let me reinforce this teaching with two Bible passages. This first one is from the Epistle of James in chapter 1, 22 to 25. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And then the other is from 1 John 3, 16, 18. By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And especially do good to a neighbor that we do not particularly like. Do good to the neighbor whose appearance, you know, you just look at them and you go, I just don't like the way they look or certainly don't like their behavior. It kind of gives you negative vibes and do good to that neighbor. Knowing that you and the neighbor have one thing in common. You are both made in the image of God. And there's another common element. You were both born in sin. And without Christ uh, coming in and taking away the guilt of that sin for you, you're, you're caught in that sin. It's only because you receive the aid of Christ that you're not hopeless. And you receive the aid of Christ, well, not because he looked at you and said, well, there's, there's a neighbor I like. But, well, actually, it won't tell us why he selected us. It just won't tell us. It's just out of his own will. We were saved out of mercy. And so for us to understand these things, we need to understand that our neighbor is not a lesser neighbor that we go help out and, and try to put up with. Our neighbor is of the same value as we are. We are to help that neighbor, go do something for that neighbor. And then here's the final lesson. We must understand that Jesus Christ, our Lord, he's the good Samaritan. He traveled into a foreign, dangerous country, and he showed mercy to us who were beaten victims. He bore the cost of our healing. He also has left, but he will return to settle accounts, and nothing needs to be paid by us. doesn't matter how much of a debt that we run up. He has already paid for it. Jesus is the good neighbor. He sees your suffering. Whatever may have happened to you, you may be lying on that side of the road as a victim, I don't know, of wicked people. You might be the victim of just seemingly random ill fortune. You might be the victim of your own sin and folly, and you know that. Whatever the reason, he's not going to pass by on the other side of the road. He will tenderly care for your wounds and heal you. He's not going to inquire first into your background. He's not going to make any distinctions about race or heritage or social class. He's not going to check your references. There's no need to. He knows that your bio is filled with poor behavior and misjudgments. He does not expect you to pay him back. Indeed, he knows 
that you cannot pay him back. It's out of mercy that our Lord came to us. It's out of mercy that he went to the cross. It is out of mercy that he provides salvation for anyone, anyone who will call on his name. We give you thanks, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, our good neighbor, one who's not ashamed to be called our brother. This great God, God the Son, dwelling in heaven, has such mercy to us that he would pay the great cost of his own life. We thank you for what he has done, for what God our Father has done, for what the Holy Spirit has done in coming within us and dwelling in us. Give us the spirit to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a good neighbor to anyone, to whatever the need, to seek to do good, not to keep asking you for opportunities to come, but for you to open our eyes to the opportunities that you give to us every day. And may we every day recall Give thanks and praise for that mercy shown to us on that cross, that mercy that is shown to us today and every day. Amen.